Private Lender Podcast, Episode 93. Private Lender Podcast quote of the day comes to us from Charlie Munger, who said, Our job is to find a few intelligent things to do, not to keep up with every damn thing in the world. What'd you say? (laughs) This is the Private Lender Podcast, the show that shares practical advice and know-how for new and seasoned lenders, from private mortgages on single-family houses to joint ventures on commercial projects and beyond. Discover details about investment vehicles that you won't find at your local bank or online broker. Listen and learn from private lenders and real estate investors, as well as from professionals and entrepreneurs, as they share the details, strategies, and the insight that allows for successful and prosperous lending. Now, get ready to increase your ROI. Here's your host, Keith Baker. Hey, how you doing, Lender Nation? Hello and greetings from the energy capital of the world, Houston, Texas, and welcome to the Private Lender Podcast. If you're looking for practical tips and advice on being a successful private lender and building wealth without banks or Wall Street, then you are in the right place. But if you want to learn from my mistakes so that you can avoid them, well, pull up a chair and pour yourself a drink, my friend, a stiff drink at that, because this podcast is for you. This is episode number 93. I'm your host, Keith Baker, and I promise this will be a much more upbeat episode than episode 92. For today, I'm going to bring back two guests that have been on the show before on different episodes. They're both full-time real estate investors in the Houston, greater Houston area. And my friends, they are my friends, Ray Sasser and Landon Rothstein. This episode has been talked about and half-assed planned, but it really came together to spur the moment. And I think you'll see this episode reflects that. <laughs> we went back and forth on um, trying to get a time where the three of us could do an interview all at once. But in the end, we got it done and we made progress and not perfection, but hopefully this will provide some decent value for you. I always tell people to avoid second liens until they are very seasoned and, and confident in what they're doing in private lending. However, today's subject on lending to or subject to buying a property subject to and possibly lending on what money the the investor needs to get the seller out of the house. I've wanted to talk about it on the show and I just haven't figured out the best way to do that because I want to learn about it from all angles, not just from a lending perspective, but something to incorporate into my investing portfolio. Make no mistake, I'm neither endorsing or recommending you incorporate junior liens into your lending or lending on any sub two deals. It is a possibility. You can make money and you can lose a lot of money. So it's just like any other thing. You got to know what you're doing, you know, to navigate through some, what could be some tricky waters. There's some, you know, we don't get into everything here on this episode, but I did want to shed some light on this topic from two people who utilize this strategy in their real estate every day. And they're not just out on the circuit trying to sell a book. So during the interview that you're about to hear, I take a, I completely take a back seat and just let Ray command the show. When he starts to talk, he can get on a, a roll and you can learn so much very quickly when Ray Sasser speaks. And I got so involved in becoming a listener of the show that I forgot to ask what Landon was paying his private lender who lends on these second liens on subject to deals. And I just can't figure out how do you forget to ask the most obvious question, but it happens. So I apologize for that. I will try to find out before this thing goes live and put it in the show notes how much he's, he's paying, the, no one landed. It's, it's as little or next to nothing or as little as possible. So anyhow, let's go ahead and get down to the brass tacks and to the, onto the interview regarding subject two deals and second position lean lending with Ray Sasser and Landon Rothstein. Hello there, Lender Nation. And I'd like to welcome back two previous guests to the Private Lender Podcast. Please help me welcome Mr. Ray Sasser and Mr. Landon Rothstein. Welcome back, guys. Hey, Keith. Hey, this is Ray, and I'm really honored that you put me on the upper billing of this marquee. I appreciate <laughs> it. I noticed that. 
you're, you're very welcome. And the uh, conference software raised up on the top of the screen and Landon is on, <laughs> Landon's on the bottom since he's on the phone. So anyhow, well, hey, guys, happy 2020. And uh, thanks for coming back on because today you guys are going to discuss a niche topic that I have stayed away lending on these types of deals because of perceived risk. And I understand that you guys, one of the masters of creating a subject to deal and then now getting private lenders to fund the down payment, so to speak, to the seller. So let's go ahead and back it all up and explain in case nobody knows what it is, but what does it mean to purchase a property subject to? Well, in a nutshell, the subject to is basically you're taking over the note, the existing financing that's already in place from the seller. And one pet peeve that I have is in this real estate business, you know how like people like to spell realtor instead of saying realtor. A lot of people get involved with the subject twos. They don't seem to know the difference between a real subject two and an assumption. What we're doing is not an assumption. We're leaving the financing in the original seller's name, and then we're making the payments for that person. Now, to get there, we usually have to do some catching up of arrears. I might have to make a payment to a wholesaler if the wholesaler is bringing me the deal. And sometimes the seller will want some money. So there'll be some money that'll take to get into that position. But once you're there, you've usually got a nice low interest rate. I'm getting interest rates. I've had one as low as 2.8 recently, but they're generally around three to like four and a half, maybe 5%, which is a whole lot lower than I pay my private lenders. And you know this for a fact, Keith, because you're one of them. So anyway, the subject two is a pretty powerful once you get into them. Absolutely. Because I charge a lot more than three to 5%, don't I? Yeah. You're pretty egregious. You're the devil. (laughs) <laughs> so the main thing I was saying here with the difference between the assumption and, and taking over the position of the original seller is we're not putting anything in our name, which is also critical. You don't want these things in your name. You don't want to have to re- go through all the hurdles the bank's going to make you go through and get approved for a loan. So with these subject twos, that loan is staying in the original seller's name. You know, Landon, I was even told that because you're not personally liable for that, you don't even have to show it as a debt on your income and debt statement. So in reality, it looks as income, but you don't have the debt obligation. So it makes your P&L look a lot better. Yeah. And that's true because you're not tied to it. You know, your social security is never coming up in that situation. It doesn't get reported on your credit. It's obviously reported on the previous seller's credit. And that's why, you know, you've got to be consistent with making the payments. And then that's you know another question that, that I get a lot with the sellers. They'll, they'll ask me, how do I know you're going to make the payment? And part of what I was saying before is, well, hey, if I just gave you 10000 in arrears and gave you another 3000 to walk away, I don't want to lose that money. So I've got to make my monthly payments. Otherwise, the bank's going to foreclose on me. Yeah. Usually, if the seller's motivated, this is not near as big an issue as people conjure it up to be in their head as potential buyers. It's just not that big of an issue. The one thing is, Landon said, the rears, just so if you're not active out there or real active, you may not understand, but the rears, almost all these subject twos are going to have past due payments that are owed. And it can be, Elaine, I don't know what you're seeing, but I'm seeing anywhere from zero to like thirty-five dollars or $40,000. And if the number gets to be too big, then it's, you know, it might not make sense to do the sub two, but you got the rears and then you've got to also solve their problem and their problem, whatever their problem is, may take five or 10 or 20 or $30,000. So sub two, you could literally be in it for anywhere. We've been anywhere from zero to about $50,000. 
And under the right numbers, they can all make sense. So it's not an assumption. You're going to be paying the note for the seller, keeping it in their name. That's a great, not just an accounting tip from you, Ray, but that's great because it doesn't not so much hit your credit, but yeah, it's not reflected. It doesn't limit up or eat up one of your however many mortgages Fannie will allow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that, I, I could definitely see the benefits of that. So Ray, I, when, when you say $50,000 in arrear, I picture a Ray Sasser house, <laughs> which means that, that that's about 100 land in houses. So. <laughs> hey, Keith, you're bringing up a great point, though. You're bringing up a really great point. One of the things that the Subject 2 has done for me, I'm getting into a whole lot nicer houses. I'm getting houses that are over 300000 you know, 400000 and I'm getting into them at a low bar. I don't need to jump through all the hoops, like I was saying before, to get approved for a loan. And may have to come up with anywhere from, like Ray said, zero to $50,000 to get in. So I'm, I'm not just having these little rinky-dink, as you call them, landing houses with these subject twos. It's opening up a whole new, bigger, better world for me. Well, the house that I did the drive-by on out here near me the, uh, a couple of weeks ago, was, uh, I, was, I was impressed. I mean, I, I had a little tear in my eye for you. He's growing up. <laughs> it's a nice house. <laughs> oh yeah, the house you checked out for me and Katie. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That's right in that ballpark. I, that was around a four hundred thousand dollars house. You didn't even have to keep your gun on the seat when you went through that neighborhood. <laughs> no, no, no. It stayed under the wall. Which one? This is Texas. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, yeah, it was. Uh, I just know never to make you and Landon mad for any reason. I mean, there's a point that I won't go beyond. <laughs> That's that's useful information. <laughs> um, we'll start a new business, the intimidation business. So you, you're taking this over. Now, the arrears, I would assume, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's not just payments and late fees to the mortgage bank. It's also, there's probably, could be some property tax or HOA or... HOA, for sure, yeah. Yeah, I mean, maybe not property tax, but yeah, HOAs for sure. What other kind of hidden fees? Well, a lot of times it's not really hidden fees because... Most of the sub twos come when you do foreclosures or it's pre-foreclosures. And a lot of times we're dealing kind of with a seller and the bank and the bank, they have what they call suspense accounts. And so they're accounting for the taxes and the escrows and all that. And it, it does get kind of complicated. Every one of these, you've got to actually look at how the fees are broken down because you're going to have, if it's a foreclosure, you're going to have like a payoff amount and a reinstatement amount. And the payoff amount might be 90000 say, and the reinstatement might be 20000 And then the question is, well, if I pay the 20000 does that mean the balance is 70000 And the answer is no. You have to actually get the reinstatement amount. You have to get the payoff amount. You have to put the two forms side by side and see which ones you get credit for and which ones you don't. So it's very possible that the reinstatement might be 20 the payoff's 90 and then when you reinstate it, then the payoff, the real balance is like 75. So you just have to figure out how they're doing their math because each mortgage company does it different. And then you have to make a decision to reinstate. But it's not uncommon on a sub two, for example, that it's say the same scenario, 20,000 reinstatement, 90,000 payoff. Once you reinstate it, then the payoff's 75. So you've got to kind of say, hey, I'm in this for 95. And then if the seller wants say five, which is not unusual, then you're in it for a hundred. And if it's got a after repair value ARV of 170 or 180, you know, you just do those deals all day long. Or you or if you're a wholesaler, you set it up like that so that when you turn around and sell it to hopefully me or Landon or anybody else, then you set that sub up to we're much more excited about doing that deal. Well, I mean, we'll look at that deal a lot sooner than we might look at some other deal where it's all cash. Very interesting. 
Okay, so Landon has asked several occasions if I'd be willing to give a private loan on a sub two deal in order to cover the arrears and get the loan reinstated, get the borrower happy, so on and so forth, and take a second position behind the existing note. Because I've also learned from Landon, I'm very conservative and I tell him no, politely. I, you know, I let him down gently, but I tell him no. But I understand that you guys have four letter words. Four letter words. <laughs> <laughs> N-O. Wait, how do you get four letters out of N-O? <laughs> Comes after the N-O. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Landon, I understand you found somebody, a private lender who is taking these second position liens and providing the arrears and let's just call it the catch-up money. I do, Keith. And I didn't want to make this a whining bitch session about you, but I have a lender who trusts me. And I'm offended. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good for you. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> so, step up the game, Keith, if we're going to continue this relationship. <laughs> Am I getting squeezed here on my own interview, on my own show? I'm getting squeezed? Wait, wait, let's talk about the technical aspect. The reason why people would say no is because that underlying lien is a first lien. And so, it is putting that lender into a second lien position. So that as long as that second lender, there's a couple of ways you can offset that as a second lender is you want to verify the value is really there. So in our scenario, if it's 90,000 or you're in it for 105 and it's worth 180 and you're bringing that 15 or 20 or whatever it is as a second lender. So that you've got an underlying of 75 and then you've got about 20 on top of that as a second lender. And then you've got about $60,000 equity in it. So your loan to value, your top loan to value for, for both loans is, I'm just guessing because I don't have the calculator, but it's probably around 60%. So as long as your LTVs are real low, and as long as you can control that first, in other words, let's say landing gets hit by a bus, do you have the right to come in and make those underlying payments? I think you're relatively safe. But it's like everything else. As a lender, you've got to do your due diligence. You should probably have somebody else put you or your somebody else put eyes on the property, make sure that, you know, it's really a house that has four walls, a roof, and it's, you know, not sitting over a sinkhole. And then you gotta make sure that there's real equity there and do real comps. But I think that second liens are never as, as good as first. But as far as second liens go, they I think it's probably a pretty safe bet for the right people. You make it sound interesting. I give you that. <laughs> I give you that. Well the other thing let me just tell you how to negotiate with land. So Landon, you say, no, I don't like that. What if you die or whatever? And then blah, blah, blah. Well, just have them give you some collateral on something else. I do a blanket piece of collateral. That was my next point is if you can collateralize that second appropriately, then you eliminate and mitigate a lot of risk if you cross collateralize to protect that second. And I like that idea. I'm not doing that with this particular lender. Like I said, he trusts me. I know you don't, obviously. But you know, no, I know we you. could do that. <laughs> <laughs> He's known me for 20 years. <laughs> so this is a true private lender. This is someone you had a relationship with before. You didn't pick him out of the phone book or whatever. You just told him, hey, I'm doing real estate investing. Kind of a big deal. Kind of know what I'm doing. This is a true private lender. Right. Yeah, I knew him before my real estate investing days. So, yeah. But let me tell you, Keith, it's not a private lender thing. It's understanding the process. If you don't understand it, then it's worth learning because, I mean, there's banks out there that do nothing but loan car dealers money to buy cars with. How can a bank prosper and grow and go from one branch to seven branches and work with that market segment 
with all the shenanigans that are going on. And it's just knowing who you're dealing with, knowing that you're properly collateralized and making sure that the properties are what you think they are. And if you dot your check the boxes that need to be checked, I just think that it's very doable. You know, like I said, this is why I wanted to have you guys on the show to not only explain it to me, but also to the audience, because to me, a second lean's a bad word. I call it the Dave Ramsey effect, right? Dave Ramsey says, don't use credit because he screwed up his credit, right? I tell people don't do second liens. Dave Ramsey also said that we're having a depression in the real estate market because the number of houses reduced. And it wasn't because we were having a depression. It was because the inventory dropped because people were buying houses as fast as they could be produced. So I don't know about Dave Ramsey. I think I like a lot of what he says, but the devil's in the details. You have to figure out what the details are. And for example, second liens get a bad name because, for example, there's people out there that go and get hard money loans. They're thirty dollars or $40,000 short. They can't get to the first draw. So they bring in somebody else. Now, to me, that's a high-risk loan. That's a product that's not performing. You're relying on the first borrower, the person borrowing on the first lien. You're requiring for that guy to produce a product that's not existing because if the house is not performing, he's going to turn it into something. But you've got to make up the forty or $50,000 he's short because he can't afford the down payment and he can't afford the first draw. As Now, those people are doing those second liens. That scares the hell out of me. There's too many things that can't work. In this case, you've got a property that's probably already mature, that's in a reasonable subdivision. A lot of times these houses are built 2005, 2009 with interest rates were really, really low. They really don't need any major improvement. So I would be more concerned with a major rehabber borrowing money because he doesn't have enough money holding capital to get through the first stages of the deal. So second liens can be very dangerous. I've never understood. That's called gap funding. And I've never understood why anybody would be a lender in gap funding. And I don't know if you have people that come on and talk about that. No, because in that scenario, I get approached a lot. You know, hey, I've got this hard money lender will do the loan. I just need to come up with this cash. I mean, just like you said, and it's no, because I'm not not investing in a property so much at that point. I'm investing in a process, like you said, that guy's work product and whether or not or whether or not he or she is able to perform much, much riskier than a properly collateralized second lien. I've been in the leadership role in the RIAs for quite a few years now, and we hear a lot of the horror stories that people don't talk about. They'll come to us, and we had our RIA here in San Antonio. We had guys that were had about 15 rehabs going, and they were getting gap funding for every one of them. And then their days on market extended, and they started holding the houses a little bit longer, and they and all their loans started collapsing. And we didn't even know it was going on. And a couple of our members came to us and literally said, hey, this is what we're doing. What can we do? And we tried. We gave them the best advice and gave them the names to attorneys that specialized in that. But almost all those people lost their gap funding because they were being second lien holders on projects that people were working on and they weren't even qualified to get them done. But if you're going to be a gap funder, you better be like a JV partner. You better have a way to buy that person out. And it better be with somebody that's got a real track record, not somebody that's been doing it two or three years, but somebody that's been doing it a long time and it's done a lot of transactions. And what I actually got in front of the room in San Antonio and just said, Hey, if you're a gap funder and you're not a professional lender, you're probably going to lose money. So I would stop. I got to keep you away from one of my lenders, right? <laughs> <laughs> I have a bridge loan set up with one of my lenders. He actually gave me a $600,000 line of credit now that I'm using 
as a temporary placeholder till I get long-term financing in place. I got a company that will let me do long-term wraps. So I'm using my private lender's money to get the deals because time is of the essence. I mean, you got to have your cash ready to go. And his is just as good as cash. I mean, I literally get it sometimes the same day or usually the, the latest the next day. So I've got the money like instantly. And then we process them off with this company that's letting me do the long-term loans. What interest rate are you getting? The long-term money? Yeah. Eight and a half. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, it is because they're the only people in the whole world that seem to let me do rap. Why don't you kind of explain that real quick? So like how you're doing, are you do, how you're doing like a sub two to a rap? And by the way, before you get into that, I think Landon may have told you we're doing like a webinar. When is that? Next Tuesday, Landon? And we're going to talk more about this. And then we're doing a class on the 25th and we're going to do an all-day class just on sub twos and how to negotiate for the sub twos, how to do talk about what the exit strategies will be, which will include either renting or doing a wrap. Twos, even for flippers, is good because for a flipper, it, instead of maybe bringing $100,000 to the table, you might be bringing 20000 And the point people miss on that, like if you're the wholesaler and you have an option of setting this up, say, hey, I'm going to sell this to my potential buyers, and I'm going to say, I'm going to go and negotiate an all-cash transaction. If you were to say, try for the sub-two first as a wholesaler, structure that, then when you go to sell it to the marketplace, like somebody like me or Landon or people that are real active, if you say, well, Ray, look, you only have to bring $20,000 to the table because seventy dollars or $80,000 can be done a subject to, even as a flipper, that's a good thing because I might not have to bring in a hard money lender. And if I don't have to bring in a hard money or a private lender for that first because I'm taking it over as a sub two, that deal gets to be a lot more attractive because I might be able to do it out of my IRA. I might be able to do it out of my bank account and I don't have to pay those extra costs. If you don't mind, can you just kind of tell them what the wrap is and what that means and how you're doing it? Yeah. Well, the wrap just essentially means that there's already an underlying lien in place. And then when I sell, I sell to my, my end buyer on owner finance. And these are perfectly fine. You just got to disclose, disclose, disclose that you have an underlying lien. You can't not tell the end buyer that there's an underlying lien there. So my lender's okay with it. My borrower's okay with it. You, as long as you get all your documents signed, you're fine. Some of the other things I, I would have added there, Ray, like with the class, is that we're going to have like a checklist for the subject to process. We have a separate checklist for documents that I need from my end buyer. And then we'll have like a sample contract that'll help these people get these subject to deals done. Cool. The key on the wrap is when you're wrapping that loan, you're wrapping it typically what interest rate? 10%. And your underlying cost is what? It depends. I get loans as low as 5.5%. And with this one company I'm doing a lot of work with now, it's 8.49. So I've got a little bit of a spread in there. Even an 8.49 is the highest that I ever have underneath. Yeah. So if you're doing a sub two, then what is it? Yeah. And the sub two is obviously, like I said, I might get those at 2.8% or three, three and a half or all the way up to maybe four and a half, five. That's some nice arbitrage. Yeah. Keith, explain that. I know you probably have a lot of the same people, but to me, the arbitrage is what this, that's the whole story. That's the whole reason to be excited. Exactly. If you lock up a house, take it over sub two, and I'm talking from the investor, not as the lender at this point, really, really in favor of it. Two things I wanted to say. One was that was a, that was a smooth segue into uh, promoting the class and getting the plug. I like that. Thank you, Keith. <laughs> I like that. Good, good, good. And 
Aren't you having a private lender speak at that class? Ray, do you have a private lender lined up for the subject two class? Not. I hadn't thought about that doing that. <laughs> I mean, of course, if Keith would want to share some of his wisdom, we would love to have him there. But, you know, he's going to have to have experience doing these kinds of loans, won't he, Landon? You don't want Keith? Well, I mean, you know, he says he <laughs> doesn't do these kind of loans. <laughs> <laughs> I'm perfect. <laughs> you don't make the cut, Keith. Sorry. We know it's your show, but you don't make the cut. Yeah. yeah. You don't make the cut. <laughs> Yeah, I'll be happy to. No, we'd love to have you because I think talking about the private lending, we get confused. We think this is really about real estate. It's not. It's about understanding the money. And from a private lender's perspective, I mean, that's what it's all about. And just what you're about to say on the arbitrage, I think that this is what it's really about. I mean, I think I spent the first 15 or 20 years real estate investing, working on the wrong stuff, like fixing up houses, collecting rent and and chasing tenants and stuff like that. But it, the more we start focusing on the money aspect of it and how to make the money work for us when we're awake and asleep and Landon would be on one of his many, many cruises, the more we realize how important understanding the money is. And to me, the whole point of the sub two class and the wraps and all that, it's the primary focus of that is going to be what does that mean money-wise? That's the main thing we got to understand. And then once we understand why that's so important, then we can drill down into like, well, how do you convince somebody to do a sub two? How do you tell that buyer that, hey, there's an underlying mortgage and what happens if you don't pay that underlying mortgage? How do you have those conversations and how do you protect that buyer? How do you create this process where it's safe for all the people to participate? And what do you do if something goes wrong? Hey, Ray, you're bringing up a really good point, though, about the financing and instead of slaving away, rehabbing houses and collecting rent. I'm doing a deal right now in Humble where the end buyer is going to pay me $431,000 in interest over the course of the loan, where I owe right around $200,000. So I'm going to make over $200,000 just on the financing aspect of this, not counting my spread on the property. So that's where, to me, the real magic comes in. How many hours will you have to make that $200,000? Not much, probably literally under 30 hours. And that's dealing with it. Power of attorney and getting all the docs signed and going through closing and all that. I mean, over the years, I'll have my note servicing company collect money from the buyer. So I'm not going to do much there either. But right now, I probably got about 30 hours in. And yeah, and you've got to collect it over a period of time and all that stuff. If you get 100 of these, you're not going to be the person collecting them. Two or three, you're the person collecting them. But the goal is to figure out how to get to that point. Yeah, I don't collect on any of these anymore. Just let the note servicing do it. Well, that's all about automation, right? I mean, getting to your point, like Ray, like you said, that most people start off, they create a job for themselves, whether they're landlord or flipper or whatever. And then normally people come in later on and become the private lenders or just to deal with the money because they understand the process. They can analyze the deal quickly. And, and if you, Robert, you know, follow Kiyosaki's quadrant, you know, that's the investors, the highest one up top as far as, you know, being passive. And that's what I love about private lending is being passive. And this class, I am looking forward to it because I want to put together a module on being a private lender on a sub two deal. And where can you mitigate and where do you, the risk and where do you, can you get yourself into some serious trouble, you know, going back to the LTVs and, and whatnot. So, because at the end of the day, as a private lender, I'd be betting on you and Landon more so than the property and, and knowing what you guys can do. So, I always tell people don't lend strangers on the second lien. 
Well, heck, I loaned a friend on the second lien. I got robbed on that one. So maybe you shouldn't loan to friends either. But I did not properly collateralize my lien. And that's on me. So there'll be a link in the show notes if you're interested in going to this class. I will be there. I might even have the kids with me. I don't know. We'll see. But they'll be quiet. I'll make them like enter people's emails or something. We'll put them to work. We'll have them do something. I am looking forward to it because I think above all else, I am a huge proponent of creative financing and looking at a set of rules and finding ways to stay within those rules, but to create profit, to create value and have my money work for me. So this is a very interesting concept. And this is one of the reasons why I wanted to have you guys on the show so I could make me eat a little crow about the, the second position and to understand a little more how it's protected. But 713 RIA, or how do you guys are advertising this? What's it through? If they don't go to the show notes, where can they go to find out more about this class and your webinar? And the best place to go is the, the 713 Meetup. And that's 713 Houston area. Real Estate Investor Network. I know it's a nice short one that Ray likes. And we have a link on Eventbrite too for that as well. I don't know if you can put those in your show notes or not, but if you can, that'd be great. Send them over to me. I will. Yeah. So as I'm sitting in this little picnic table and there's this little uh, canopy over the top or a little umbrella over the top, I'm sitting there dealing with a major rehab issue. And I look up and there's Landon and my wife walking around smashing grapes with their toes this we are in Napa Valley, and they're making they're making wine. <laughs> but on that trip through Napa Valley, Landon looked to somebody in the car and said, "As I was on the phone dealing with rehab issues, Landon looked in to somebody in the car, and I remember him saying, as I'm talking on the phone dealing with some stupid contractor issue, he said, "Yeah, that's why I don't do rehabs." And I thought, "Yeah, <laughs> that makes a lot of sense." We're on vacation. I'm working my tail off trying to get somebody to finish the job. And when you set this sub two up or you set a wrap up or even private lending, the goal is to let time work for you and let the money be your soldier instead of you being the soldier. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I didn't want to really point that out before, but I, I will now that Ray's bringing it back up. You know, Ray spent over 15 years rehabbing, more than 15, I'm being generous, and it took him a whole lot longer to figure out to get to where I am now. I did it maybe in a third of the time that he did. I, I didn't want to say it that way, but. <laughs> well, well hey, hey, to be fair. I know it pains you, Landon. It pains you to say that. <laughs> it really does, right? <laughs> but Landon, to be fair, Ray did this in a, without the same technologies that we have today. Ray, isn't it true that when you went to the land grab in Manhattan, didn't you have to survey your own lots? <laughs> yeah, but I got to work with the founding fathers. So I, mean, <laughs> I tease out of love. Landon and I refer to Ray as the uh, encyclopedia of Houston area real estate investing. So and, and practical knowledge, not just theory, just but experience behind him. So there's other nicknames we have for Ray as well. <laughs> this is a yeah. family show. Yeah. No, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey guys, thanks again for coming on again. Welcome back. You know, this is the this is the, your second time. The first time you guys are together. So we'll see if we can't do some more and we'll get the information out about the class. And Let me um, give them my phone number as well, too. So if anybody wants to call to find out about the class in, in case the name was too long for them, it's, they can call me at 281-852-7777. 281-852-7777. Okay. You heard him, folks. Call him. I'm going to be blowing that number up now. <laughs> anyway. Well, hey, looking forward to it, guys. And thanks again for coming on. And thanks for sharing your knowledge about Subject 2 and helping me wrap my head around it so that we can find ways to increase the safety and you know mitigate the risk. Yeah. Well, you should jump on the webinar, too, Tuesday night. 
Tuesday night. Okay. If they get on with a computer, we'll have kind of some graphics kind of show kind of a picture of how it works. It's, you know, everything in real estate can be complicated and you need to know, you need to educate yourself. But if you can borrow millions and millions of dollars without having to qualify for it, I think that's a good thing. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, it is. Yep. All righty, guys. Thanks again. And we'll see you soon. Thank you, Keith. Thanks for having us. Bye. Thank you, Keith. And there you have it. Hope you found some value and you learned something. I'm looking forward to going to their class and learning. Well, by the time this comes out, it'll be this Saturday. And I will report back on what, what I find out from these guys. So please help me get the word out and increase awareness for this show by sharing or forwarding this episode to somebody who you think might benefit from it. Or maybe it's somebody you're trying to cultivate into a private lender. It's a great source for them. You suggest it, but it's not your idea. So it's impartial value to them because it's a third party. And I'm just rambling on at this point, aren't I? Okay. So I'm going to ask you for the regular stuff now. Please go leave an honest rating review over at iTunes, Google Podcast, or whatever platform you use to listen to this show. And you can connect with me at Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Bigger Pockets, all the social media stuff, the normal places, the usual suspects. And please remember to look for and utilize the private lender hashtags, which are never trust, always verify, and my money, my terms. Links for all of this can be found at privatelenderpodcast.com. I hope your New Year's is off to a great start. And as always, I wish you safe and prosperous private lending. I'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Private Lender Podcast with your host, Keith Baker. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit privatelenderpodcast.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time.